Well, thanks so much, Matt. It's great to be with you. I've been looking forward so much to being in this famous city. And, uh, and for me, this famous church, I've been very aware of Matt and Joe being here from the beginning, often prayed for you. And it's thrilling just to now actually be among you. So we've been enjoying our weekend very much indeed. And it's a pleasure to be in this context this morning. I'm going to speak to you from the book of Romans, and uh, I'm going to read just one verse initially from Romans and chapter 5. Uh, in Romans, Paul builds his argument from chapter to chapter. It's hard to interrupt him. Uh, another chapter starts saying, therefore, this, now this, therefore, as a result of. And you think, wow, how do I get in on this? Because it's kind of nonstop argument. Uh, and in chapter 5, he's comparing and contrasting uh, what Adam did through his rebellion, his unbelief, his sin, he ruined the human race. He was the head of the human race, he wrecked us. And he turned us into what the Bible calls all children of disobedience. That's what we are, we have, we're born that way. We, we lean towards disobedience, that's our problem because we are in Adam. And in this same chapter he also tells us what Christ has accomplished. And by being in Christ, how it changes everything for us. How our whole address, our identity radically changed because of Jesus. And uh, in the chapter, he keeps saying, on one side this, on that side and the other. In Adam, such and such. In Christ, such and such. I'm going to read one verse, uh, Romans 5 and verse 17, which is kind of typical of those statements. And then we'll get into the word. Okay, so Romans 5 and 17 if by the transgression of one, that's Adam, death reigned through that one, much more. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So death reigning through one, life reigning through the other. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Lord, we welcome you with praise. We are gathered here to you, Father. We thank you for the joy of being in this magnificent old building, filling it with worship again, embracing your presence, enjoying your love. Father, thank you for the massive privileges that are ours. And we ask you right now, Father, for the help of the Holy Spirit. We thank you your word is living and powerful. And we ask for the help of the Spirit that we might hear your voice that we might recognize, no, this is what God is saying to me, and that, Lord, you will do us good through your word. Father, hear us for this, we do pray. Enable us by the coming of the Holy Spirit, we ask, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the verse has a very vivid phrase in it. It talks about reigning in life. That's a kind of uh, kind of a vivid phrase, uh, reigning, being on top, reigning in life. And that's a kind of description of what it is to be a Christian. It doesn't stand alone. You'll find other similar phrases in the New Testament. It says this, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors through what Jesus has done. He always leads us in his triumph, we're told. So these are, they sound kind of graphic, they sound maybe a bit kind of over the top from where we think, oh, I wish I was reigning in life. I wish that's what this last week looked like. I wish I could say, no, I'm always in triumph. I wish I could say, I'm more than a conqueror. Because something about this scripture kind of echoes 
that's what I felt I got saved into. And yet when I look at my life, I think, oh Lord. And sometimes we can come to a sort of crisis. Maybe we go away to a conference, we put other things aside, we focus on the preaching, and we feel God stirring us, drawing us. Maybe we're given an invitation. We come forward and say, Lord, I wanna do better for you now. Maybe it comes to the end of the year. We're coming gradually to the end of this year. And you come to the end and you look back and you think, oh Lord, that isn't really what I had hoped for. I'm sorry about this, Lord. I'm, and someone's given you a new diary and you think, Lord, I haven't messed up one page yet. There's a whole year ahead. Now, Lord, I'm going to do better. I'm determined to do better. And that's great when you get a fresh motivation. That's very helpful for us. We need such moments of fresh motivation. We say, right, I'm going to reign in life. I'm sure most of us have known moments where we think, I want to do better. And sadly, at that moment, we very rarely read the small print. We don't see what it says. We think, now how am I going to do it? We think, right, I'm going to set myself some targets. I'm, I'm going to put my alarm clock earlier. I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to pray longer. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to read my whole Bible. I'm going to read my Bible through this year. I'll do it. How many pages a day will that mean? It's like probably well, it's 1,200. Hmm, it's maybe eight pages a day. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it right through. Somebody told me once, I set myself this target. I'm going to speak to someone about Jesus every day. I'm going to do this. And he told me, he said, I was just going to go to bed one night and I'm, I'm so exhausted, I'm getting, my head's hitting the pillow and I think, oh, I've not witnessed to anybody today. <laughs> so he got dressed and rushed out and searching the streets to find someone that he can witness to because I've set these goals, these targets, I'm gonna do it. If I can keep doing this, if I can keep these rules, I'll reign in life. And we often think that I, if I can do this, I can accomplish it. Whereas Paul says something very different. And uh, he says this in Galatians 5 verse 4. You who be justified by law have fallen away from grace. Now we often, if we ever use that phrase fallen from grace, we tend to use it in this way. We say, oh, you know, she doesn't come to church anymore. Maybe she's fallen from grace. And it means like backslidden. We use the phrase to mean backslidden. But Paul, who kind of invented the phrase, he means that you've turned away from grace into rule keeping. You're trying to be justified by law. You're trying to be justified by keeping rules. In, in doing that, you've fallen from grace. You've missed the point. In fact, he wrote that to the Galatians. I quoted to you from Galatians 5 and verse 4. And Galatians is quite an interesting epistle. Galatia was a place Paul went to. He preached the gospel. Many people were converted. And you can read in Galatians, the Spirit of God was manifestly there. There were signs, wonders, miracles. God was present with them. A terrific young, new church that Paul had brought to birth. That was his apostolic calling. He would go to a new town, preach the gospel. People he saved, he'd build them into a community. And Galatia was a place for the great church. And when he'd done that job, because he's an apostle, so he's laid the foundations, he's done that task, now he's gonna go and do it again somewhere else. He moves on. And when he moved on, the Bible makes it clear that the Judaizers moved in behind Paul into Galatia. So what do we mean, the Judaizers? Well, probably Christians, but actually their roots still strongly into Judaism, into old covenant thinking, and, and are still affected by that. 
and they come in to this church and they say, hey, this is great. Uh, you know, these are formerly Jewish people, probably now Christian, but they say, hey, this is excellent. You Gentiles have received our Messiah. This is wonderful. I mean, our Bibles told us that the Gentiles would come to our Messiah. Hey, welcome, this is wonderful. Um, but if you wanna make sure all is well, I mean, we've known him for centuries. Um, you, you know, you mustn't eat that kind of food. And uh, you must keep the feast days. Uh, and really, um, you should keep the Sabbath. And actually, you should, actually you should all get circumcised. You know, if you want to make sure all is well, that's what God's always required. And you should add these things to make sure everything's okay. I mean, it's great you've received the Messiah, but you need to add these things to make sure everything's okay. And Paul, who's moved on, hears news of this. It comes to him. And he writes what's called the, the epistle to the Galatians. And it's his angriest letter in the whole Bible. He says, you fools, who's bewitched you? What are you doing? What are you doing? And the implication is, how can you add anything to what Jesus has done? Jesus has done it all. Jesus has paid the price. Jesus has made you acceptable to God. How can you, by adding more, make yourself in a better place? By adding something, you're actually taking away from the glorious clarity of the gospel. And he's furious with them. He writes this angry letter to them. He says, you've fallen away from grace. What are you doing? What are you doing? Putting yourself back under law. And actually in Romans, he says similar in Romans 6 and verse 14, sin will have no dominion over you for you're not under law. You're under grace. Not under law. Romans 6, 14, the Christian is not under the law. Do you think of yourself as being under the law? You're a Christian? Jesus said the law will never pass away. So how can a Christian not be under the law? Isn't that confusing? Jesus said the law will never pass away. Paul says you're not under law. I wonder if I said here now, can we have a show of hands? Those who believe Christians are under the law, raise your hand. If you believe Christians are not under the law, raise your hand. If I was to say that, I think, I think we'd be saying, gosh, what do I do, what do I do, where am I? What's Matt doing? Oh yeah. So, so we're not quite sure where we stand. And does it matter? He said it matters a great deal. It matters a great deal. And I'd just like to turn the page. We only read one verse just now. I'm going to read six verses with you now. First six verses of Romans chapter seven. In Romans chapter seven, Paul sets out our relationship with the law in probably the most clear, succinct way. I mean, we could read the whole of Galatians, which is all about it. But just in half a dozen verses, because we've just got a little time this morning, half a dozen verses, you'll see the image of how we relate to law. So Romans 7, I'll read these first half a dozen or so verses. Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? That sounds pretty thorough. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. If her husband dies, She's released from the law concerning the husband, so if she's, while her husband's living, she's joined to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so that she's not an adulteress, though she's joined to another man. Therefore, my brothers, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that we might be joined to another, 
to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit, not in oldness of the letter. Okay, so let's consider these verses together. First of all, he is painting a picture of like a marriage. And the law is seen as like a husband. He has authority over us. He says, you should not do this, you should not do this. Uh, and we kind of submit to this husband who has this authority over us. That's the image that Paul is giving us. We're, we're married, as it were, to the law. We're in covenant with him. He's telling us his holy requirements. You can't argue with him because, well, he's right. I mean, they're terrific laws. They're great laws. They're, they're holy and pure and good laws. But there's a kind of oppressive feel to it, partly because, and I'll come back to this later, we have an enemy called Satan, which means accuser. As his very name means accuser. Uh, and he accuses us day and night. That's what it says in the Bible. The devil accuses Christians day and night. It's like we might think, well, I don't, I'm not going to meet Satan. I won't go downtown. I won't go to the nasty places. I won't go near Satan. No, Satan comes looking for you. And his weapon, main, his main weapon above every other weapon, is to tell you what a crummy Christian you are. How poor, what a rubbish Christian you are. You're supposed to be a Christian, and he will bombard you with what the Bible calls fiery arrows, trying to get you down, trying to put your head down, trying to make you feel, I'm unworthy, I'm no good. He will hit you day and night, the Bible says, accusing us, all right? So we'll come back to that later, but we just need to remember that. We have this husband who's making these holy requirements, we can't argue with him because he's right. He's right. But he never lifts a finger to help you. I hope not too many of you have got a husband like this. This is the rule. This is good and right, but I'm not going to help you. And, and on top of that, Jesus said, the law will never pass away. So you're permanently married to a pure, overbearing, correct husband, always showing you where you're wrong. He never lifts a finger to help you and he's never gonna die. Isn't that great, eh? <laughs> so here's religion for you. Uh, and, and you're in this, you say, well, I'm gonna marry somebody else. You can't, that's what it says in the passage, you can't. You're married already. So what's the way out? It looks almost as though Paul, if you read those first couple of verses, it looks like he's saying, this guy needs to die. But he doesn't say that because Jesus has already said he will never pass away. But amazingly, in verse four, he kind of turns the thing around in a way we would not expect it. He says, therefore, my brothers, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. You were made to die through the body of Christ. What does that mean? Well. In the New Testament, the word Christian only appears three times. But the word in Christ, or the words in Christ, are there multiplied times, again and again and again, being in Christ. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Paul, it's Paul's favorite phrase for being a Christian. Someone who's in Christ, in Christ. And what it means to belong to Jesus is that we are joined to him. We're no longer joined to Adam, as we mentioned earlier. We're joined to Christ, we're in Christ. That's our new address, that's our new identity. 
God's changed our setting completely. We are in Christ. And Paul is saying here, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. What does that mean? It means this, that what happened to Jesus is accredited to my account. Now, Jesus had two relationships with the law. The first one was this, absolute innocence. That's the word the Bible uses. He was innocent. He never, ever broke God's holy law. He had a perfect relationship with the law. At the end of his life, he said, which of you convinces me of sin? No one could. So the devil's coming. He's got nothing on me. Jesus was absolutely pure, innocent. When it came to the cross, the Bible says this, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. That on the cross, Jesus took all my law breaking, all my sin, all my shame, all the filth of what I have been, and Jesus took it all, and on the cross, he became the personification of guilt, and on the cross, he hung there, condemned by the law. The law was thoroughly vindicated. God's holy law was vindicated, and Jesus took the punishment totally. He bore the curse of the law, Paul says in Galatians. He took it all. He died to the law once for all. The law is satisfied, it is finished, it's fulfilled, I've done it, it's over. Jesus died to the law once and for all. The law is upheld, God's holy law is upheld. Someone's gotta die, Jesus does it for us. He took away our guilt and his relationship with law is over. And we were in him, we were in him. Paul says similar in Galatians in chapter two, he said, by the law, I through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Through the law, I died to the law. The law required a death. Jesus, through the law, he said, I've, Paul says, I've died to the law. I've been crucified with Christ. As much as Jesus fulfilled it, finished with it, completed it, we were in him through our relationship with Jesus. You were made, you were made to die. So the law hasn't passed away. The law, Paul says in Timothy, the law is good providing you use it lawfully, knowing it's not for the righteous, but for sinners. The law keeps on saying, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But believers died with Jesus on the cross. It's a finished thing. It's all over. I don't have any more relationship with the law. I've died to it. In fact, in verse six, it says this, you've been released from the law. It's the word you might get if you were discharged from, say, being in the army. The great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, wonderful preacher of previous generation, he, he used this illustration. He said, it's like a soldier who's maybe been in the army for a couple of years, he's used to jumping when the sergeant says jump, you know, left, right, turn, do, you do whatever the sergeant says. And then there comes the moment when you're discharged. And he says, imagine the soldier just walking across the parade ground. He's got no tie on. He's got his jacket over his shoulder. He's just strolling. And the sergeant comes around the corner. He says, soldier. He says, oh, sergeant. He says, hey, wait a minute. I'm out of here. Bye. And it says, he says, it doesn't matter how much he shouts at you. He can't touch you. He can't touch you. You're discharged. That relationship it's over, it's finished, we don't go there anymore. Now some people say, no, come on, you've got to have some law, well, we'll come back to that later, but Paul doesn't say that. He said, I've died to it 
I'm discharged from it. So going back to verse four again, Romans 7, 4, you were made to die through the law, through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another. Okay, so he's still using the marriage image. We've died to that husband, that rather scary, overbearing husband. We've died to him in order that we might be joined to him who was raised from the dead. Well, who's that? Well, Jesus, obviously. Now we've found a new husband and we're joined to him. He's, he's now our husband. We have a new relationship. And also it says this, you're joined to him who's raised from the dead that you might bear fruit for God. Now he's never mentioned bearing fruit before. That relationship with our old husband didn't make us fruitful. There's no reference to fruit. Instruction, yes. But not, no fruit, nothing... Nothing is born in me. In fact, Paul argues in Galatians 3 and 21, uh, quite simply states this in Galatians 3, 21. He says, if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would have come by the law. It's a very important verse. If a law had been given that can impart life, then yeah, righteousness would have come by law. In other words, it's like, let's get, let's get into the schools. Let's get into these teenagers. Let's tell them, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Tell them, just tell them the law. If life could come by law, we change them. But no, 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 this, this law doesn't impart any life. It tells me what's wrong. It doesn't change me. It just makes me aware I'm a sinner. It doesn't change me. If, if this law could impart life, then we've got to just tell them the law. That'll change society. Tell them the Ten Commandments. Paul says, no, if it could impart life, then righteousness would have come by it. But it can't impart any life. He's an impotent husband. He doesn't impart any life. So we died to him, hallelujah, that we might be joined to this new husband, that we might bear fruit. Ah, we found a potent husband. We found a husband who imparts life. He says things like this, my joy I give you. My peace is yours. My love, I'll pour it out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. This is a different husband. This is a life imparting husband. He says, abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. It's a different kind of husband altogether. It's a completely new relationship. It's by the spirit that gives life, not the letter that kills. You see, some people say, you say to someone, how are you getting on as a Christian? They say, I'm a bit up and down. I think it's much more we're a bit husband to husband. We're not quite sure how to relate. We feel I'm not doing very well, so I better try harder. It's like you say to your new husband, I'm sorry, we're not doing so well as we should do. I'm sorry. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll really cultivate my relationship with my old husband. That'll help, won't it? I think not. I think not. You see, I don't need a way to the way. Jesus is the way. He is the way. Even to the Laodicean church, which had grown lukewarm, it got backslidden as a church. Jesus said, I'm outside. I'm outside the church. If anyone hears my voice, I'm knocking the door and opens the door and keeps my rule. No, it doesn't say anything about keeping anything. He said, opens the door, I will come into him and I'll sup with him. It's Jesus is offering himself to us. 
as a loving husband and invites our relationship with him. We don't need to go back to the old husband. You see, some say, oh, you mustn't, you mustn't. Terry, what you're preaching is so outrageous. You need some law, but the law's impotent. It can't do it. It says in Hebrews, it's obsolete. It was a school teacher to lead us to Christ. Once it's done its job, makes, Paul makes it clear in Galatians, you don't go back there. He's just shown you, he you fall short. He can't actually help you. He can't actually change you. He's impotent. He can't do it. So going back to rule keeping as a way of relating to God is missing the point terribly. So for most of us, you know, I know when I became a Christian, I was, I'd never heard the gospel before. I'd never heard, there was, I didn't know there was a gospel. My sister became a Christian, she came home, she led me to Jesus. I was like, wow, I'd never heard such a thing. This is amazing. I can be born again, I have my sins forgiven. And then what happens is this, Someone comes along and says, you've become a Christian. Yeah, I have. Now, they don't come in like the Galatians and say, you shouldn't eat that and you should do it. They come in and say, they say things like this. uh, You must read your Bible every day. Okay, got it. Thank you. Uh, And you must pray every day. Okay, got it. Yeah, read my Bible every day. Pray every day. Anything else? Yeah. I don't think you should do your hair like that. Oh, okay. And uh, actually, I don't think you should wear those kind of clothes. You should... Okay, I got it. I say, I do that, I do that, I stop doing that, I do that. Thank, thank you so much. I feel so helped by what you told me. So relieved. And you get confused from day one almost. Almost from day one. Because you have to do this to make sure. You know, you've received Christ, but you've got to do these things to make. No, 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 you're missing the point. You say, well, don't you read the Bible, Terry? Yeah, I love the Bible. I'm, I'm preaching it verse by verse but I don't read the Bible to impress God. I don't read the Bible as a kind of job you have to do. I don't pray and say, like, hey Lord, 15 minutes this morning, good, eh? Get points for that, don't I? I'm doing fine. You know, it's, 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 that is not the way I relate to God anymore, at all. See, I am, I'm in Christ who's already impressed God. I'm not trying to impress God, Jesus has done it for me, hallelujah. He's taken away all that. You see, what we have this, because of the devil, who's the accuser of the brothers and sisters, and accuses us day and night, it's almost like, let me say, this right arm represents my awareness of condemnation. How are you feeling? I was a bit condemned. So what do we do? I pray harder, read my Bible more, trying to cover this feeling of condemnation. I'm doing this stuff and doing this stuff. And then Satan comes on, I'm doing better. I'm I'm working at it. I'm trying. And he says, well, have you heard about Jenny? No, what about Jenny? She fasts twice a week. Oh no, fast twice a week. So now I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible. I'm fasting twice a week. And then Satan comes again and says, I'm doing better, thank you. Well, I'm fasting twice a week. I expect you're pleased. Yes, I am pleased. I expect you're proud. Yes, I am. Oh, no, proud. Oh. I go back to square one again because I'm proud now. Do you know, a lot of people stop coming to church because can't keep it up. Christianity is hard work. Go try and keep it up. They haven't understood the gospel. They've missed the point. They're trying to do stuff. Paul said this, the tragedy of his contemporaries was that instead of receiving the gift of righteousness that God was giving, they went about trying to establish a righteousness of their own 
based on law. They're trying to establish their own. They're trying to keep doing stuff that makes them feel right with God. In fact, Jesus has done enough to make us right with God. That's how we reign in life, because of what Jesus has done, not because of how well we're doing. Otherwise, dear friends, this is what happens. We feel, oh God, I'm trying, I'm trying. Maybe you know, you come this morning, you think, I really think I'm seeing it now. And we go home and, and, and you know, tomorrow morning we get down to seek God. Maybe, may I pretend to be one of the wives here, okay? So tomorrow morning you say, we're gonna pray. Right, tomorrow morning you're on your knees, you say, Lord Jesus, uh, bless my husband in the workplace. Um, thank you for him, Lord, he's such a great man. Give him opportunities to witness for you. Let his light shine, Lord. I feel he's really tired lately. I, I'm really quite concerned for him, I think. I'm getting quite worried. I'd like to really bless him. Maybe, I know what I'll do. I'll do a nice meal for him. Yeah, yeah, I'll go and get some. I'll go, I know what I'd like. I'll go and get a nice steak and I'll, I'll really do it nicely. I'm, I'm supposed to be praying, aren't I? Oh, yeah, I was praying. Um, uh, praying, yes, praying. Uh, oh, God, we got, what have we got? We've got the missionaries coming. Uh, the missionary supper on Friday. Uh, yeah, the missionary supper. Lord, bless the missionaries as they come to us on Friday, as they tell us about what they're doing. Uh, Lord, let it stir us, and uh, Lord, really use them, and, and, and bless the supper. Oh, yeah, the supper. I, I said I'd get the salad, and I haven't, I haven't got any salad yet. I've got to go and get the salad. I, I, must, I must be careful. I won't get ready in time. And I know what I could do. I could, get, I could get the salad at the same time I get a meal for my husband. Yeah, of course, that'd be fun. I'll go down, I'll get the salad, and I'll get... Oh, yeah, we, then we'd be fun tonight. And then, and then Satan comes and says, Oh, mighty woman of intercession, are you prevailing in the heavenlies? <laughs> prevailing in the heavenlies. I'm a waste of time. When I try praying, my brain goes out the window. I'm a useless prayer. I'm a terrible Christian. Oh dear. I better get back to my Bible reading. Where was I? My Bible reading. Oh yeah, I remember. I was 13 days behind, wasn't I? Uh, <laughs> I think I was, yeah, I remember I was in uh, Leviticus. Yeah, that's where I got to. Uh, Leviticus chapter four. And uh, what was it? Hold on, let me just find it. Where I got to. And uh, suddenly disappeared. There we are. And... Uh, he shall, the priest shall remove from the sacrifice all the fat of the bull of the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that's on them which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver which he shall remove with the kidneys. You see, and then, and then Satan comes and says, getting a lot out of our Bible, are we? And you say, no, I don't have a clue what it's all about. I'm a terrible Christian. I've just had a terrible quiet time. I will probably have a terrible day now. See, that's the way our brain goes. I'm useless. What do you mean you're useless? Well, you're now gauging yourself, your relationship with God. You're gauging it on how well you prayed this morning, how well you read your Bible this morning. And as I said earlier, you said, well, don't you read? I do read my Bible. I love reading my Bible. But I'm not doing it to impress God. You know, I've just been working through Ezekiel. Jolly hard work. You, know, I, you think, wow, didn't I do well? No, I don't think I did very well. It's not terribly relevant. I'm in Christ, hallelujah. You know, I'm pressing on. I'm going on to Daniel, which is quite exciting now. You think, oh Lord, I'm not doing it to gain merit. I'm not praying to gain merit, to try and impress. I'm not doing it for those reasons. 
And when we, when we step back from that, I think, no, no, thank you, Jesus. See, sometimes even the way we pray, somebody said to you maybe, you know, when you pray, start with confession. People sometimes say that. Start, so you've got to clean the decks first. So you say, Lord, I come into your presence, I'm sorry for this. Now that's not what Jesus said. When his apostles said, teach us to pray, he said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You don't come saying, I'm sorry. You see, if you do, you've got an enemy called the accuser. And he hears you. Lord, I come into your presence, I'm so sorry for. And what about that as well? Oh yeah, and that too. Sorry about that as well. And what about, oh yeah. It's like he gives you a spade and you dig a big hole and jump into it. Oh, I'm so sorry, I'm such a terrible Christian. And so relating to God becomes sin consciousness. And you miss the point, prayer becomes a pain. Do I have to pray? Yeah, I've got to pray, oh, horrible. No, I, I love praying. I come to God, say, thank you, Father. Hallowed be your wonderful name. I come to your presence with thanksgiving. Thank you for giving me all my sins. Thank you, I'm your son forever. Hallelujah, I love you. You use the Lord's Prayer. It's a very helpful structure. Jesus didn't give it to children. He didn't go to Roman Catholics to say, say you're 73 our fathers. No, he said to apostles, this is a good way to pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. For headings, I find it helpful, headings. I don't say it, but headings. And then you do come to and forgive us our trespasses. We don't become indifferent. We don't become careless. Lord, do, I, do my feet need washing again? Have I offended you in any way? But we come worshiping, celebrating, asking. So prayer is a time of celebration. It's a joy to come to Father. If you have never understood the grace of God, life is very hard work. It's very hard work. I preached a sermon somewhat like this once in a place called Constantia in Cape Town, and it was high summer, and it was kind of in the low 30s, ever so hot, in this tent. I'm preaching, when I finished preaching, a couple came up to me, a great big Afrikaans guy, and his wife, who was dressed in navy blue suit and hat and gloves, uh, on this day. And she came and she was crying. She said, is what you said true? And I said, well, it's just the Bible. I just preached the Bible. She said, I've been a Christian as long as I can remember. I've never heard that before. I've never heard that before. That we're accepted, we're righteous, we're in him. And I, she said, can we just pray together, which we did. And then I said my goodbyes, and I was back there a year later. And I saw this great big guy come towards me again. I recognized him from the year before. And his wife's there, and she looks so bright. And he said to me, it's like I've got a new wife. She understood grace, it set her free. See, we reign in life, it says, through the abundance of grace, and one more thing, the free gift of righteousness the gift of righteousness, it's a gift, it's a gift. The answer to condemnation is not me trying to do this and this and this, it's not, sanctification is not the answer to condemnation. We haven't got time to get into sanctification this morning. It's not the answer, there's an answer to condemnation, it's called justification. Justified freely as a gift. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. There isn't any. There isn't any. So a friend of mine said, when they first saw that in Romans 8.1, there is now, therefore, no condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus. He underlined it so much, it went right through to the maps. He was so thrilled. I'm free, I'm free, yes. He gives us the gift. Even in the Old Testament, they were told to bring a lamb for their sin. They had to bring a lamb. And in Malachi, it really points out, you don't bring your diseased lamb because they were saying, oh, well, we've got to give a lamb. Let's give that one. I don't want that one anyway. It's diseased. Give it to God. God says, that won't do. You have to bring a perfect lamb. And they would present their lamb to the priest and the priest would inspect the lamb. And while the priest is expecting, uh, inspecting the lamb, you don't think, oh, I do hope he doesn't notice this is all torn and I've got all mud down here. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. We're looking at the lamb, not at you. Anything wrong with the lamb? And he said, well, no, it's not blind. No broken limbs. It's not diseased. And, and the priest would say, I find no fault in him. Hallelujah. There's nothing wrong with my lamb. I'm accepted. There's nothing wrong with our lamb. Even Pilate said, I find no fault in him. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. We're accepted. The gift of righteousness. I was praying one morning, and this honestly happened to me. I was praying, and as I'm praying, I felt God reminded me. I'm praying, and I felt God reminded me of the day when Jacob, who was a bit of a cheat, came before his blind old father, Isaac, pretending to be the son that he loved. He got another son called Esau. So Isaac loved Esau. He's his beloved son. And Isaac's getting blind, he's old, frail. And so Jacob, the crook, takes Esau's clothes and puts his clothes on with the fragrance of Esau on them and puts skins over his hands and round his neck so he, he seems to be hairy like Esau. And he comes to deceive his father, hoping he'll get a blessing. And I'm praying one morning and I felt God said to me, don't fear that I'll find you hidden in the son that I love. See, Esau's hoping, or at least Jacob's hoping, he won't say, hey, what are you doing? Hey. No, no. It's, it's, no, no, God said to me, don't fear. I'll find you hidden in the son that I love. I placed you in the son that I love. And Ephesians chapter one says, we are hidden in the son that he loves and we receive every spiritual blessing because of that relationship. And God's arranged it. He's very happy for me to be hidden in the son that he loves. All the love he has for his son, my beloved son, my delightful son, I'm hidden in there. I feel like when I say to God, Lord, feel those clothes, Lord. Look at that obedience of Jesus. Look at his tenderness. Look at him laying down his life. Look at his obedience, even to the cross. I'm hidden in all that, and it's all at my account. God says, yeah, I love you. You're just, you're accepted. We reign in life, beloved, because of this free gift, free gift. I'm not trying to earn some righteousness. What a waste of time. I've got Jesus. And Paul's furious with the Galatians. How could you add to that? I'm accepting the beloved. I'm righteous as a gift. It's done. It's done. John Bunyan author of Pilgrim's Progress, the old Puritan, he said one day he was walking and he saw a vision. Interesting that Puritans saw visions. He saw a vision and he said, I saw Christ as my righteousness. And he was feeling a bit low. 
He said, I realize now Jesus Christ is my righteousness. And he said, if I feel a bit low, I can't take away from him. If I feel good, I can't add to him. He's my righteousness. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So beloved, when I wake up tomorrow morning, hey, he's my righteousness. If I sleep through my quiet time, he's my righteousness. He's my right, beloved, that changes everything. He's done it for us. Of course we reign in life because of what he's done, not because of how well I'm keeping it up. That's what it means to be in grace and not under law. Paul says, sin shall have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. God's done it, we celebrate it, we enjoy it. We'll be breaking bread together soon to celebrate it once again that he took our place that we walk away free. It says in Hebrews that the priests of the Old Testament could never sit down because they had to offer another sacrifice, another sacrifice, another sacrifice. Then Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering, he has perfected for all time those being, those being sanctified. By one offering, he's perfected us. God's declared us righteous, it's a done thing. He's done it, beloved. That's why we love him. That's why we come and worship him. That's why we celebrate him. He's done it. It's a done, done deal. He set us free through his precious, precious blood. God has done it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful gift of reigning in life. Not because of us. We thank you sent a savior. We thank you sent one who would take away the guilt. One who would say, come to me, learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. You'll find rest for your soul. And Father, I want to pray even now for some who have not found rest. They've just found it's hard and they've not found rest from you. Lord Jesus, we just ask you, Lord, just let the truth of your wonderful gospel set us free. That we understand it. We take it seriously. God has done it for us through his beloved son and declared us righteous as a gift because of our relationship with Jesus. We thank you for this wonderful new covenant. Lord, have your way in our lives. Glorify your name. Keep blessing this lovely church. Lord, help us like, the, like Isaiah says, arise, shine, put on your beautiful garments. Pray for this church, Lord, to more and more across this famous city to arise and shine because we've put on our beautiful garments. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.